Now, straight talk. Straight talk is uh, we go to the scriptures and we let the scriptures get in our personal business. We've been talking about parenting. Today, we're not just going to get in your business, we're going to get in your wallet. We're going to have straight talk about finances. Straight talk about finances. One area that causes more confused thinking than almost any other is finance. The number one cause of conflict in marriage, finances. Nearly 80% of all divorced couples between the ages of 20 and 30 list financial difficulties as the primary cause of their separation. More and more of our income is going to debt payments. Listen to this. One out of five families in the U.S. That's a lot. One out of five families in the U.S uses more than half of their income to pay debts. According to national statistics published just last week, the average interest rate for credit cards in the U.S. is back up to 18%. And most Americans who use credit cards make only the minimum payment each month. All right, now put those two things together. High interest rate of 18%, and most people who use credit cards only make the minimum payment each month. So what does that mean? Let's say you take your family on a vacation that costs $2,000. At gas prices, that means you went three miles north of Abbott. <laughs> Let's say you take a vacation, cost you $2,000 that you put on your credit card. If you faithfully never miss a payment, you faithfully make minimum payments, and you never add another dime to that balance, it'll take you about 15 years to pay off that trip. And you'll end up forking over almost $2,500 just in interest. If you just make the minimum payments, you're going to wind up paying more on interest than you originally planned to spend on the entire trip. Talk about bad stewardship. We get in debt by living above our means, and then we spend the rest of our lives giving our money away to people in interest and fees. I know a lot of people live in tremendous debt today, but that's not God's plan for his people. And so this morning, I want to get a little bit personal. And I want to, I want to ask the scripture to give us some guidance as we talk about finance. Luke chapter 16 and verse 11 says, If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? The, the context of that verse is it's saying, if you are faithful in a little bit, then we know you're going to be faithful in a lot. If you're not trustworthy with a little, you're not going to be trusted with a lot. 
And in that context, he says, even just look at material things. If God sees that you're not handling just unrighteous wealth, in other words, just normal everyday material stuff, if you can't handle the money coming your way, how would you expect that he would trust you with bigger, weightier things, stuff more important than money? So you see, stewardship really is a major part of discipleship. A huge part of our faith walk with God is demonstrated in our stewardship. And so I want to show you this morning five principles, five biblical principles dealing with finance. The first one is the principle of work. Earn an honest living is that principle. The principle of work. If you've got your copy of Scripture with you, look with me in 2 Thessalonians. That's pretty far to the right in the, Old Test- in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 3 and we're going to start at verse 6. The principle of work. Earn an honest living. By the way, if you prefer to follow in the Bible app, we've got it all set up there for you. You can find the events. Then once you click on the events, click on our church and uh, everything you need for this morning's worship, including this message, will pop up there for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. He's saying, be careful about hanging out with folks who don't accept responsibility to earn their own living. Be careful about hanging out with lazy folk. That stuff's catching. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. In other words, don't imitate them, but imitate us. Paul says, I gave you an example while I was there. He says, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul, while, even while Paul was doing the ministry work, he was also apparently so intense. He was working. He, he was earning his living. And now he says, because I was a minister of the gospel, I I, it, it, I had the right just to ask you to provide for my needs, but I chose not to do that way because I wanted to show you an example of hard work. And he said, now follow my example instead of the example of others who put work aside. Now look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, Let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. 
Ouch. You're not busy about your own business. You're busy in everybody else's business. You're supposed to be working, but you don't have time to work because you're all caught up in the gossip and stirring up stuff and telling everybody what they ought to be doing. You're busybodies. Verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. That sounds so foreign to us because of, again, because of the society in which we live, the culture in which we live. This sounds so foreign, almost cruel. But he is speaking to a church. Keep that in mind. He is not addressing government support of people in need. He's addressing a church. Within the church setting, he's saying, Everybody do your part. Support yourselves and support one another. It's the principle of work. Earn an honest living. He's talking about the fact that some people sit around waiting for their ship to come in while others get up and swim out to it. Notice in verse 10 again, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work. That's a key. He is not talking about folks who cannot. He says the folks who are just not willing to do what they need to do to take care of themselves are presenting a problem within the church setting, within the congregation. So beware of those folks. It's the principle of work. Just earn an honest living. The second principle, biblical principle, that that we want to look at this morning is the principle of budgeting. In other words, plan your spending. We spend as things pop up. Something comes up, okay, we spend, we we buy, we, we... The principle of budgeting says you plan it ahead of time so that you are not driven by the urgent, so you're not driven by immediate circumstances. You plan your spending. You set some financial goals and you stick to them. We return to Proverbs. A lot of of what we're looking at this morning is from the Proverbs because this guy is just so wise. Proverbs 27. Know well the condition of your flocks. Look at that. Know the condition of your flocks. In that setting, he's saying, know how many sheep you have. Know how many of them are well, how many of them are ill. Know where they are. Know who's watching them. Know the condition of your flocks. Today, we might say, know the condition of your bank accounts. Know what you've got. Be aware of your assets. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? The obvious answer is no. The stuff you have today, you will not have forever, so make sure you know what you've got. Be aware 
of what you have. It's the principle of budgeting. Know where your money is. Keep good records. Technology has made it easy for us to spend. It's made it easier than ever for us to spend. Just think really quickly. How, do, how can we spend? We can use cash, checks, credit cards, debit cards, automatic withdrawals, ATMs, money orders, cashier's checks, fund transfers, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Venmo, and we can keep going. Spending is easy. You don't even have to leave your house and you can get everything you want and need delivered right to you. I mean, it's a great time to be alive. But with that ease comes an extra responsibility. We've got to keep records and be aware. Be aware of our the condition of our flocks. Know what our herd looks like. There are four things that you need to know with the principle of budgeting. There are four things that you always need to know. One, what I own. Know the condition of your flocks, your herds. Two, what I owe. One of the reasons that people wind up spending so much money, it's not even spending. One of the reasons people wind up throwing away so much money on interest is because they don't really even know what they owe. They just pay bills when bills come. Know what I own, know what I owe, know what I earn. Now that you don't get a paycheck anymore, your boss's bank tells your bank that you've got money and you look up in your app and, oh, I've got money. That's cool, that's awesome. But because of that, you don't see money coming in, you're not recording it, you're not paying attention to your flocks and your herds Know what you earn. And number four, know where it's going. When you know what you've got, then you plan it. You figure out, since this is what I have, I'm going to send this much there, this much there, this much there. Know where it's going. Why? Because of Proverbs 21.5. Or, yeah, 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Those who are hasty, something pops up, I'll spend. Something pops up, I'll do something. But it is those who plan. Diligent plans lead to abundance. Prepare a budget. Make sure you're spending less than you're making. Pay attention to where your money's going and make adjustments as necessary to be the best steward you can be. Principle number three, biblical principles on finance. Number three is the principle of investment. And that is save for the future. Save for the future. This one's hard. And I'm gonna tell you in just a minute, not yet, but I'll tell you in a minute why this is hard. But this is a tough one to save for the future. Proverbs 21 and 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. The wise man has precious treasure and oil because he has saved it. The foolish man devours it. He just goes through that stuff as it comes. 
and then wakes up one day and he's got nothing. It is the wise man who is saving. Study after study shows that people in my generation are going to be broke in retirement because people in my generation didn't save. Proverbs 13 and 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Now, some of y'all need to hear that because every six months there's a new get rich quick scheme out there. It's crazy. Be very careful with those things. Be very careful with it's simple. All you got to do is show up to a meeting and make two phone calls and you'll make thousands of dollars. Be careful. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. You get it real easy, you're going to lose it real easy. That's the way it works. Whoever gathers little by little will increase over time. It's the principle of investment. Save for the future. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Don't you love it when they call us names? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, nobody told her to save. She was just wise enough to do it. Nobody had to tell her step by step what to do. You have to do this. She just knew. She was wise. Without having a chief, an officer, or a ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. While it's coming in, I'm going to gather it. I'm not going to spend it as it comes. I'm going to gather it. I'm going to save it. It's the principle of investment. Which takes us to the fourth biblical principle of finance. And that's the principle of tithing. Or return 10% back to God. It's based on a familiar verse. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Now, when we look at that, let me make sure that we understand the word tithe. The word tithe does not mean money I give the church. The word tithe means tenth. It tells us the percentage. That word is, is not just saying it's an offering, it's saying a tenth. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking. Bring a tenth into the storehouse so that there is food in my house, God says. Therefore, and thereby, put me to the test. Does it say something that the only time throughout Scripture, Genesis to Rev, the only time in Scripture that God gives us the privilege of putting Him to a test is on this issue. He says, test me and see if this doesn't hold true. You bring the full tenth to the storehouse to put food in my house. He says, and then put me to the test. 
if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I have a friend who loves to say you can't outgive God. You say, well, why does he ask for a tenth? Bottom line is, I don't know. He very well could have asked for 25% or 50% because it's all his anyway. Whatever you have in your account, it's really his. He's trusting you to take care of it for a time. It's when we start thinking we own stuff that this gets so confusing for us. If we could remember everything that is, is His, then we would be really good stewards of the little bit that He asks us to take care of. And one of the ways we do that is we say, God, I remember that all this is yours, and the way I'm going to show you I remember that is with the tithe that you have asked for. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking, because some of y'all are smart, and some of y'all have done some Bible. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Malachi's Old Testament. We get into the New Testament, we're freed from the law, so we don't have to tithe anymore. You know what? You're right. In the Sermon on the Mount, especially, Jesus says, you've heard it said not to kill. But I say, if you harbor hatred in your heart, you're already doing the same thing. You've heard it said not to commit adultery. But I say, if you've got lust in your heart, you're committing the same sin. In other words, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus says, the law in the Old Testament told you the minimum. The easiest way to understand what God needed you to know. That's the law. But now in the New Testament, it becomes a matter of the heart. So yes, you could say in the New Testament, we're not bound by the law. But understand that what happens in the New Testament is we're not limited to the minimum that the law taught us. Now it becomes a a part of the heart. Now, instead of just giving the least little bit, now I remember all He's done for me and I give all I can. So yeah, the tenth isn't necessarily in the New Testament, although you'll see in the Gospels where Jesus talks to the Pharisees and He says, you guys are so into tithing, you even tithe the amount of mint that you're growing, the, 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 the herbs or whatever, the, the mint that you're growing, you even tithe that. And then he says, and you do well. So he didn't cancel the tithe, really. He affirmed it. So here's the deal, folks. He says, bring the tithe to, you, to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, you bring the tithe so that ministry can be conducted. There's food in my house. 
His plan for funding kingdom work is for kingdom people to tithe. He funds His work through His people for His glory. Now, in a very practical, very down-to-earth way, our tithes pay for salaries, for utilities, maintenance, equipment, supplies, curriculum, children's activities, youth activities, missions, benevolence, everything we need in order to do what God calls us to do here at church. When you and I don't tithe, then God's plan for funding His work is short-circuited. And we're not able to accomplish all that we could and should. Notice Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The first fruits. In other words, as soon as you receive, you set aside God's part first. The first fruits of the harvest, the first part of your paycheck. See, that's where we get into the net versus gross conversation. And I'm out of time, so we won't do that this morning, but we can have that conversation. You give the first to God, even before the IRS. The first fruits to Him. You give Him the first day of the week, the first part of the day, the first fruits of your labor, the first part of your love. You give Him the first. Which takes me to the 10-10-80 rule. The 10-10-80 rule makes it simple puts all the biblical principles together, and it looks like this. You give 10%, and that's a minimum. That's your tithe. On top of the tithe, you might give, a, you might give additional offering to the church. You'll give to um, your favorite charity. You'll give to the uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association. You'll give to the Scouts. You'll give. Those are extra. But you give at least 10%. That's the tithe where you start. You save 10%. Then you live off of 80%. And the way this works is when you do them in that order. First fruits, 10%, God's tithe. Then you save 10% out of responsibility and discipline then you live off of 80%. Remember when I told you that saving is a hard principle? The reason it's hard is because we do this all in, a different, all in the wrong order. How do we usually do this? Usually, we spend first. We spend what we can. We spend what we've got. After we've spent, if there's anything left, we'll save. After we've spent and we've saved some, if there's anything left, then we'll give. Now, some of us are generous people, so we swap the last two. We spend all we got, then we'll give some if we have any left over, and then we try to save. And it's all backwards. Biblical principles and financial wisdom tell us Give God the first fruits. Save. Give your future the next. Then you live off of the 80. Number five, and we're done. 
the principle of contentment. The principle of contentment. That is, enjoy what you have. This is key to a biblical understanding of finances. Enjoy what you have. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says, I've learned to be content. How many of you, well, let's not raise our hands, but how many of you know some rich people who are unhappy? How many of you know some poor people who are happy? You see, you and I think that our material things are going to make us happy. And what we find out is that's not true because a lot of rich people are very unhappy. And a lot of poor people have found great joy. What's the key? It's being content. It's being satisfied with what you have, enjoying what you have. Hebrews chapter 13 and 5, keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to walk away. He's here and he'll take care of you. He'll get you through. I want to encourage you to consider these principles found in Scripture based on biblical wisdom. And I'll bet you if you start to apply them, you're going to see that life is much more abundant and free than it has been without them.